Why, hello there! Welcome to episode two of Let's Help Regional Theater. Before we start, make sure to check out our GoFundMe linked in our podcast bio, and please donate if you can. Today, we're speaking with Brooke Flanagan, Executive Director of Stefanel Theater Company. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's of an course. honor to be with you. Thank you. Um, let's start off with our first segment with a, with a 60-second summary. So, Brooke, you have 60 seconds to explain how you got to where you currently are professionally and where are some career highlights. We are timing this. All right, ready? <laughs> yes. Go. Go. Raised in Nashville, Tennessee, acting since I was three, majored in theater with an acting concentration in Santa Fe, studied also in London, worked at the Santa Fe Opera in New Mexico, moved to Chicago in the 90s, worked at the League of Chicago Theaters, Ravinia Festival, Steppenwolf, Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and then came back to Steppenwolf in 2020. I love that. It was so fast. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of organizations, too, that I've heard of. And yeah, I'm I love that. Of. Very, very cool. Um, all right, so we're going to get into the second segment, which yes. is the question. We only have two segments. Excellent. Um, so the theater industry as a whole has clearly taken a hit since the pandemic, and yeah. Steppenwolf has recently revealed that they have been affected pretty severely as well with the unfortunate layoffs and elevated open positions. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how the company got to where it is today and your personal experience with those circumstances? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the live performing arts, as we all know, were the first industry to be shut down in 2020 as an impact of the public health initiatives around the pandemic. And we, as we are a gathering place where people sit in close proximity for long amounts of time, um, we were the last to reopen. So the impacts of that forced closure over what amounted to two years, compounded with the fact that when we came back in late 2021, we were actually, most of us across the country and around the world, were coming back between strains of Omicron and Delta variants. So we were coming back, but then having to shut down for long periods of time. Um, and, uh, and those factors led to not only lapsed sort of what, what I refer to as um, sort of the, the muscle memory of coming out and seeing a show atrophied. And then when people, when we were ready to welcome people back, sometimes the predictive patterning of if we would be able to play three or not led people to not be as confident about that transaction. So we saw that coupled with, you know, continued fears about COVID, economic concerns with the recession um, that was uh, that was sort of in the balance for a while. Um, in the city of Chicago and other major, major urban centers, there were concerns about uh, upticks in violence in certain communities and being out, particularly in the evening hours. Um, and then also the fact that people over the course of the pandemic really nested in their homes. They created these beautiful sanctuaries with extraordinary access to streaming of really, really incredible content featuring a lot of the ensemble members that call our theater home, right? So the, the experience of coming out of that nest, if you will, to a theater coupled with all the other indicators really um, hit us on the single ticket level. At the same time, what we realized and what was recently revealed in the SMU Data Arts Report on how the pandemic impacted arts in Chicago, those of us who operate with a subscription model, which is to say repeated um, package buying by individuals, so instead of buying a ticket to POTUS or a ticket to Sanctuary City, they would 
lock in for an entire season of work and thereby commit to being in the theater and also give us advanced revenue. Um, that buying pattern really was the one that was decimated. So, and we had seen that over the course of the last two decades. Um, but to give you stats, our subscription base is 40% less than what we were before the pandemic wow. now. So, so uh, single tickets were down 31% uh, on top of that. And then um, for, for most of us, we also saw a slight decrease in contributed revenue. So the way that our budget works is half, roughly half is given through charitable donations and the other half comes through ticket sales or subscriptions. So that part, that charitable donation part was down at our house by about 12%. So we were down 31% single tickets, 40% subscriptions, 12% donations. And then on the other side, the expense side, all of the inflationary impacts on goods and services, on um, things like salary and compensation, that hit us to the tune of about a 19% increase on the expense side. So when you look at that holistically, it just doesn't add up, right? And so we were facing a pretty large structural deficit. Um, we were able to overcome that because of the extraordinary amount of federal funding that came through the Shuttered Venue Operating Grant Program, the Paycheck Protection Program, all of those things to get us through the pandemic and then geared back up. But we recognized, as did our colleagues at you know, the Public Theater in New York, CTG in LA and others, that we really had to make an unfortunate dramatic shift to the amount of plays that we're producing this year. So last year we were doing eight, this year we're doing six. Um, and other programs, we looked very specifically at the revenue, loss, neutral, and gain centers of the company. Those that were closest to the bullseye of our mission remained. Those that were further away, that were a revenue loss center, which were draining off of those contributions that general operating, those are the ones, unfortunately, we had to pause. And then at the end of the day, we had to do two measures with our board in August. One was to add a special fundraising campaign to raise more money to bridge the gap. And the second, unfortunately, was a reduction in force where we eliminated positions that were associated primarily to the areas that we reduced. So we believe in our heart that this is our sort of, if you look at the arc of economic recovery out of the pandemic, and you'd look at like live concerts by way of example, their arc was shorter than live theater. So it's just a long, it's a more protracted or elongated arc that we're on. So we believe that, you know, our, our, our core mission and action as a live theater isn't something that is irrelevant anymore, right? But we know that to get from now to a sustainable place during this recovery arc, we actually need to change things up a little bit. So if you see in our programming, we've actually made space to do presentations alongside our productions, which is to say we bring in comedians and music theater artists um, for uh, what's less of an investment on our side in terms of building that production or investing in a new work, um, but the revenue gain from audiences coming in is a bit higher. So we're just balancing out our portfolio of work that we're doing and the economic risk. Um, you talked a little bit about um, federal uh, money helping Steppenwolf and helping theaters um, stay afloat in these times. 
obviously, uh, it is up to us to like go see theater and go donate to these theaters to help them stay um, alive and well and to be able to produce these great shows that we're seeing. What, how big, if, if any, do you think the role of the federal government or the city government should be in terms of uh, economic uh, help for theaters, or do you think it should lie primarily on the, the viewer, yeah, the individual? Well, I mean, I think there are two answers to that. There's like a, 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 a visionary answer in yeah, my yeah. personal utopia, yeah. and, then, and then there is the tactical reality. I've spent yeah. a lot of time in my career advocating for the arts. I'm a board member of an organization called the Arts Alliance of Illinois, mm -hmm. um, which works um, on the policies and, um, and support for artists and arts organizations. Um, and I'm a member of the Cultural Advisory Committee for the city. So, you know, we spend a lot of time as artists and arts leaders and policymakers thinking about how we move the needle on subsidy for artists, arts workers, and organizations so that we can continue to have not only a robust ecology, but one that can take risks and speak truth to the moment that we're in. Commercial theater is extraordinary um, and is so, you know, amazing in terms of entertainment and escapism. What we do in the nonprofit sector is really, I believe, an active part of our democracy. It's about bringing people together in community, reflecting on historical events that have been told through artists of the past or stamp plays, and looking at the mirror of our current society through new work. And so, you know, when we look at the metric of how we are funding the artists and arts organizations or arts education at the city level, the state level, and the federal level, um, we, are, we are seeing, um, we saw during the pandemic, historic leaps and bounds to using, leveraging taxpayer dollars to invest in what we do. Um, we are now trying to um, point to that as perhaps a, um, a, a standard that we could get to over the next decade. It's gonna take a while because people still see the arts as, um, some people, as non-essential. And so I think, we think part of the advocacy that, um, that is critical in terms of moving the needle on the per capita spend for arts on a, on a city, state, or federal level is about putting arts at the table, not only for the sort of cultural tourism and um, you know, entertainment factor, but really seeing how we can partner with public health, how we can partner with housing, how we can partner with the, the current asylum seekers that are in the city of Chicago. Artists bring to the table a lot of creative thinking. Um, we bring um, a lot of, um, uh, of value in terms of how we approach not only entertainment, but the support of social and emotional development. And so the more that we concede artists and arts advocacy at various tables, the more doors are gonna open up for us in terms of getting to that higher per capita spend and investment. But in the short term, we do still need to depend on individuals and philanthropists to come and see the shows, to support the shows. Um, you know, I, I spoke about it being part of the democracy. My, one of my favorite t-shirts I saw at a polling location was, you know, democracy is a verb, which is like, it's only as strong as your activation. That's the same for the cultural life of any city. 
And so um, we need people to be reminded that coming out to participate in live art forms is a privilege and it will only exist as long as we all take our role as an audience member seriously. Yeah, you, you, mentioned, love that. Yeah, you, you made some really good points there with um, like partnering with like the housing or uh, asylum seekers. I, I just never thought of that before. I think yeah, having some really, brilliant points. Um, so although Steppenwolf has definitely been affected by the pandemic and various other issues, uh, Steppenwolf has been lucky enough to be able to still produce great content and continue with your community outreach efforts and school residencies. So as you proceed with new projects, is there ever a feeling of hesitancy or nervous about things like ticket sales or how the response of reviewers or the community will be because of how the theater industry has, has been impacted? 100%. I mean, I think every day we, we know that what we do is a privilege. Um, we also now have lived through a moment where we've been told that what we do is non-essential, mm-hmm. which was hard on a lot of different levels. And, um, and so I think one of the things that I'm really emboldened by is the idea that the work that we're doing now is actually, um, it has the capacity to show our impact so that perhaps one day, um, if we were ever faced with a pandemic and again, there would be a clear understanding of how important sustaining the arts and civilians' engagement with arts and culture during a time like that is to the health and well-being of our municipalities. So I think that, you know, for us, we are very fortunate. We do. We suffer, you know, we suffer theatrical criticism. We suffer ticket sales. We suffer, um, you know, contribution ebbs and flows. We have an incredible artistic team, a very robust ensemble of artists that have called this theater home and have really leaned in to make sure that their voices are at the heart of everything that we're doing right now. Um, we have really doubled down on our commitment through three um, prongs of mission that are supported very generously by our board and our community. And they are being an artistic home for our ensemble, a place where people can come and take big risks, mm-hmm. right? Um, and a launching pad for new work, our commitment to supporting generative artists of our time. Our second pillar is about really making sure that our theater was founded by teens like you, mm-hmm. right? Who wanted a place where they could find their voice, speak their truth, and through live theater, um, impact the world, be in conversation with the world around them. And so we want to make sure that we continue to be in partnership to have live performance, invite uh, teens in to see the work on its feet, um, to build curriculum around that uh, with our arts educators and members of the Young Adult Council who help create curriculum that goes into schools, and then to partner with artists and residents and teachers and teens to have activations in the classroom. Um, Our third um, uh, and final pillar is really about being a home for itinerant artists and companies. So through our Lookout series in the 1700 Theater, it's been an important part of the ecosystem of Chicago to have a platform where people who don't have their own artistic home can come, whether you're a theater artist, a drag performer, spoken word artist, vocalist, dancer, right? You can see it all down there. Um, And we really think that that's an important commitment. So through those 
three lanes, we have um, really invited and continue to invite the community to make sure that we have the contributed revenue to safeguard the core tenants of our work, even though, you know, as we're building back the earned revenue component through ticket sales and these new programs that we're onlining. You talked a little bit about um, young, young adult, young, I'm sorry, it's young okay. adult council. You got it. Uh, and uh, how they have been supportive to, uh, to Steppenwolf, uh, but I think teens as, as a whole are um, very important to theater uh, in, in general, so, um, Yoni. Thanks for that segue, Leo. <laughs> Um, so one of Steppenwolf's most notable and recognizable organizations that you spoke a little bit about is the Young Adult Council, which yep. I've been a member of for the past two years. Yep. Um, and along with that, you also do in-school residencies and shows specifically for young adults in Chicago with your SYA shows. Why do you think teens are such an important demographic to market and cater towards in today's world? Well, um, I think that... that I would ask why are they not, right? Like there is a, there is a, the, the, the tendency to sometimes to silo the, the teen journey, right? As something that is rebellious and moody and hormonal mm -hmm. and that's all bullshit, if I may say that <laughs> yeah, on your podcast. <laughs> um, so, so, right, the, the, when you are a teen, you are in the final incubator before you're launching your adult journey and that's a time when you are forming your personal identity you're forming your ability to lead you're forming your social and emotional foundation and you're figuring out i think how your um how your journey through the world is going to be able to um like what sort of a legacy you want to leave right yeah. and and through theater through the act of theater through engaging with um, live performance um, I think we're able to try on different points of view it's a very right empathetic mirror you are pulled into the journey of the character you are forced out of your comfort zone you are um, you have a reckoning, particularly with a lot of our plays, with the society in which we live and what your personal responsibility is as a citizen. And so for us at Steppenwolf, it's less about marketing in terms of dollars and return mm -hmm. on the investment, and it's more about being, um, being a space where teens can come and find your voice. And through the, the sort of crucible of being part of rehearsal and performance that we do on our stage, that you can self-discover who you are so that you leave here being the best, most empowered version of you to go out and like make the world your own. So, um, so to me, as someone who, you know, theater was very formative in my childhood experience. I lived by myself when I was a teen and my theater teacher was the one who like got me to be in my body and take ownership over my life. I now have three teenage children who we, they've been going to theater since they were very young and very active in the theater. And it is, it is a place where we, we are honored that the Young Adult Council and members like Joni are actually collaborators and partners to us, not sort of an othered, siloed group off to the side. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. I love that. And it's so appreciated and felt throughout the teens who are in the Young Adult Council and who just come to Steppenwolf for the teen takeovers and events and things mm -hmm. to 
feel at home and empowered in an art space, and I love it. And as a teen, as somebody who is uh, very passionate towards theater and hoping that, like, the regional theater can stay alive, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. As someone who is, you know, very passionate for theater, as I said, um, I'm hoping that as time goes on, it'll hopefully get back to not a normal per se, but a a, a time a, a new normal. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess, um, what are some potential next steps for the Chicago theater industry to reach that new normal as a whole? And what are your hopes for the future? So uh, we are in active partnership, um, several theater artists, arts artistic and executive directors with the League of Chicago Theaters, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, World Business Chicago and Choose Chicago in terms of um, forming think tank that are working over the next two months to come up with a formalized recommendation in the first quarter of next year for how we collectively, through collective action and advocacy, can make us stronger and make sure that Chicago as the you know, innovative theatrical hub that we are survives, right? Yeah. So, um, so I think that there there is a big, a, a broad tent initiative that we are working on. There also are more tactical things, right? I think that every citizen needs to make sure that before they sit in for Netflix and takeout, they think about, can I go out to a restaurant and see a show? Mm -hmm. How do we get out and support? There are amazing programs, right? The Teen Arts Pass. There are brilliant ways for teens to go and see a show for you know five to fifteen bucks. Um, Hot Ticks has half price tickets online through ChicagoPlays.com and through the Hot Ticks booth downtown. Um, if you're in a position to you know do a subscription or buy a pass, you know they're great holiday gifts for people, right? And then and then philanthropy, right? I think that we need to make sure that. The, the broader culture of ecology of Chicago is where we are. We are a global city because of the investment of so many incredible philanthropists over the years. So we need to make sure that those folks are still understanding their role. Um, for me, you know, I think I want um, Chicago theater and arts and culture to be the calling card for the city of Chicago. Um, I want people who come to Chicago to make sure that they, if they're visiting here, they feel like a complete loser if they leave here without seeing a show. Yep. Yes. I like, want... Like New York City. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and I think that people need to figure out their own ways to lean in and make a difference. And they can do that by visiting your GoFundMe yeah. at Let's Help Regional Theater. Um, so thank you all for shining a light on... Um, regional theater and what we do and making sure that you're giving voice. I mean, the other thing is theatrical criticism and coverage is a is a huge way to call in the public to engage in our work. Those column inches have gone away over time, so we're working to build those back up. And what you're doing through your podcast is a great step in that direction. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very you much. Thank you so much. And you're not going to pay for this, are you? There is no money exchanging no hands. No compensation, just out of the kindness <laughs> of your heart. Uh, Brooke, thank you so much for your time today and your insight into these complex issues. Uh, I think speaking to people like you who are theater professionals really does give insight into yes. like our teenage minds who don't necessarily know the professional life of theater. Um, it does bring a lot of help to us and for people who listen, so thank you very much. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us, and we'll see you next time. And remember, 
Keep calm and enjoy theater.